0: This season on Three Things, we're zoning in on one theme, peak performance. What does it take to achieve greatness? How do you maintain it? And how do you continually find areas to improve in every area of your life?
1: People are driven by different things. To me, the great peak performance out there are the people that are driven by this notion of there's always
0: another gear. There's always a way to get better. It's Two People, 20 Minutes, and Three Things with Rick Elias. Jesse Itzler is extreme. He started his career as a rapper, then founded the world's largest private jet card business, then sold another company to Coca-Cola. Today, he's an owner of the Atlanta Hawks and an ultra-endurance athlete, constantly pushing his body and his mind past the point of what's supposed to be humanly possible. Jesse's take on peak performance is all about overcoming self-doubt, pushing past physical limits and mental fatigue, and finding ways we can accomplish amazing things we never knew we were capable of. This is Three Things with Rick Elias. I have
1: a very good friend of mine, Jesse Itzler, uh, on the show today. Jesse and I met about 10 years ago at the Michael Jordan camp. Jesse, welcome yeah. to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Rick.
1: We're going to talk today about peak performance. Um, but before we get there, I know you are all about building kind of a life resume. And I want you to tell us what that is all about.
2: Yeah, I just, um, I've had a very unconventional journey as an entrepreneur uh i went from the music business uh where i was assigned as a recording artist to um private aviation where i had a private jet company called marquee jet we sold it to warren buffett's NetJets, and then a coconut water company called zico that we went to we sold to coca-cola and throughout my journey you know i've always invested in experiences i feel like the more you experience the more you have to offer it's always been a theme and while a lot of my colleagues were you know really uh over indexing in their traditional resume which is super important i've always leaned weighed equally as heavy if not more heavy on just building my my own like life experiences and my body of work so for me that's been running a hundred mile race a couple of times multiple hundred mile races and endurance events and challenging myself Because those kind of things always made me feel most alive, and that's where I got the most valuable lessons. And, you know, I felt like those kind of things have translated into business. So that's where I'd like to put my toe in the water as much as I can.
1: That's great. The reason I wanted you on the podcast is because uh, we've had some elite, elite athletes here, and while you are one heck of an athlete, I think is your mental toughness that, in my mind, puts you at this level of elite performance. When you were here talking to Red Ventures uh, a number of years back, I remember your last, one of your last statements, which was, um, when you feel like you can't go no more, you're about 40% of the way there. Tell me more about that.
2: Yeah, that's, that's something I learned from an Navy SEAL uh, that came to live with me. And, you know, Rick, I've always learned best. I'm a terrible student. I can't retain anything. I don't, you know, if I listen, I don't, I don't, I learned through my daily habits and through my routines and through immersing myself. And I met a Navy SEAL who was like just an unbelievable, had an unbelievable mindset. And I literally just invited him to come live with my family and myself for 30 days because I realized I wasn't going to get his secret sauce, you know, reading a book or interviewing him or anything like that. And one of the things that he emphasized was, you know, when we're done, when our brain says we're done, we're really only at 40%. And what I found is it's really a scientific fact. Like the way our brains are wired, Yeah. the first time we experience pain or discomfort on any level, and I, I'm not even talking about physical, it could be, at, you know, hitting a roadblock at work or, you know, maybe whatever it is, our brain as a defense mechanism taps us on the shoulder and says, stop, like it doesn't want us to be humiliated or embarrassed. And most of the successes in my life have come when I've ignored that tap on the shoulder, when I didn't listen to my brain, and I kept going. So, you know, I found in business, most people want it, are willing to do the first 95%. the that 90, first 95%, anyone is willing to go through it. But the last 5%, when it gets really hard, the real weed out part is the separator. Right. And if you ignore that tap on the shoulder and realize, man, I got more in me, you know, this is just like, I know this is hard, but you're willing to go into the uncomfortable. And many of us don't want it because we're wired for comfort. That, that's really the differentiator. And, you know, how you do it comes through, you know, that's we could talk about that, but, um, you know, you have to be willing to go into that area.
1: This was David Goggins, right? Yeah. When was that, like, break point of, like, yeah, the first time that you broke through that mental barrier?
2: I, would, I had already crossed the barrier. Like, before I met Goggins, I had ran a 100-mile race in my life. So I had already, I already gotten to the point where I ignored that tap on the shoulder and I pushed past the point where I thought I could go. And what I learned is, you know, like, once you do something like that, and look, Rick, you're a perfect example. You started out in business. You built an amazing business but you've probably gone further than you probably thought you could when you graduated college or, you know, when you were in high school, like maybe you envisioned that you'd have this one day, but you know, once you get big and you have a campus like you guys have, and you have amazing customers and you're growing and you have an amazing culture, your brain realizes like, wait a second, I'm capable of a lot more. And once you reset that baseline, whether it's a big deal or a big run or or whatever, winning, a, upsetting a team in a championship game—the baseline never goes back down. Mm. You know, so like as you raise the bar, the bar doesn't go back down, man. So I, before I had met Goggin, I had ran a hundred-mile race, and I started out. My goal was to run two miles. I never—I wasn't a runner <laughs> at all. And one
1: two and, miles, and, and how do you end up at hundred? No,
2: what happened was nothing in my body changed. I'll tell you that like the same legs that were able to, my goal was two miles is the same legs I have now. I'm not very strong. What changed was my will, my determination, my belief that I belonged in the race, that I was capable. I saw other people doing it. Um, I started to really believe that I could do it. And, and I did it. And, and once I did it, the floodgates opened for what, for, I was like, man, if I did that, if I was under indexing 50 times, what I thought I could run two miles, then can I 50X everything else in my life? Like, what's the, what strategies apply? And I'll tell you what strategies apply. You know, the first thing is, and it sounds so goofy, is positive self-talk. Now, I used to think that was the corniest stuff in the world, man. Like, what do you mean? But if, you, if you're aware of how many things you say a week that, that are negative, the I can't, I can't do that, I'm not good enough, uh, I don't think I can, uh, that's not possible. You know, then then once you give that power by saying that out loud, it becomes real. It has power. So, you know, like, I've always been able to counterpunch that doubt. I've always, you know, I've learned to, like, beat up that self-doubt and beat up that talk. Now, I'll give you a great example. I was running a, a, a 100-mile race literally two weeks ago, and I got to mile 80. I was running with my friend, Chad Wright who was a former was a Navy SEAL and and, and is, is really really taught me about the power of spoken word. And we got to mile 80 and my pace slowed. And he said to me, like he could sense that I was hurting. And he said, Jess, I want you he said, you know something about me? I, you probably don't know this about me. I said, what, Chad? He goes, I never get tired. I goes, I want you to say it. And I was exhausted. I couldn't even say it because it wasn't real. I was exhausted. He goes, no, I want you to say it. So I said, okay, um, I never get tired, Chad. He goes, no, I want you to say it like it. you stopped running and like looked me in the eye. He goes, I want you to say it like you mean it. I said, I never get tired. He goes, now, I want you to yell it and tell everybody you never get tired. I said, Chad, it's amazing. You and I never get tired. And then he looked at me and he goes, let's go. And we blew through the last 80 miles. Now, you could say it's gimmicky, silly, but the positivity and the power of belief yeah. and saying things is, is really important. And that's, you know, that's one simple strategy that I use all the time. I counterpunch the negativity.
1: You know, you just reminded me of something. Um, You know, my mom is in her last days. When I was a teenager, she gave me a book that said uh, it was something like, what do we say when we talk to ourselves? And the book basically said we talk to ourselves thousands of times a day. And the power of that message is it positive, negative, neutral uh, is so powerful. And you just reminded me of that. So thank you.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. What other, what other yeah.
1: strategies do you use other, you know, that, that helped you and have helped you in this crazy stuff you've been doing?
2: Um, not limiting myself, dreaming big. Um, my relationship with time has created urgency. So most people think of relationships in terms of people, like what's your relationship with your kids or your parents, but, very few of us think of our relationship with, it as, as it relates to time. And, you know, your mom's a great example. So, you know, for, for anyone listening that has elderly parents, if you see your parents one or two times a year and they live another 10 years, you don't have 10 years with them. You have 10 visits. And when you start to think of time in moments and not days and hours, those moments become really so much more valuable. So for me, I've, it's created a tremendous amount of urgency in my life around the things that I want to do. So like if I have a chance to create a moment, Rick, or a memory, like running a race, I never put it off to next year because I don't know what next year is going to, ha- what's going to happen next year with my health, with the world. So if I'm ready, fire in, and, you know, figure it out as, as I go. So that's always been my MO, you know, and, and it's helped me. It's helped me to start the process. And, for a lot of folks, you know, they don't have a great idea, but like nothing's more important than starting the process. So I'm quick to get into things and um, try to figure it out as I go by talking to people that have done it, like a Goggins or a Chad, and you know, really brainwashing myself that I can do it.
1: It is amazing how powerful our brains are, and you know, now I figured out why you and I have always gotten along so well is. Because of my little expedition in the Hudson River, I I feel exactly the same way you do. I talk about collecting bad wines, meaning I drink all my good ones. And that means I take on any experience I can when it appears. So I'm not as crazy as you, but have you really done this? Is it true that you've done 100 miles, an 80 miler, a 50 miler, two 35 milers, three marathons and swam something like 65,000 meters in the last 100 days? (laughs)
2: Less than 100 days. Yes.
1: What? No, no, dude, you're insane. Like, there is a point where, like, this is not right. Well, you know, it comes.
2: what happened was I did all those things, but nothing in my life changed. Like, we're at a point of our life, Rick, as we get older. Right. Where for me, as I turn 50, I'm 51, I want to do, I have a very simple life mantra. And I want to do as much of the things that I love to do with the people I love to do them with. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of what you're talking about with the wine. Right. I want to do what I love to do. So when I add it, I love to do those kind of challenges. So when I put that on my plate over the last hundred years, it didn't impact how much time I spent with my kids, how much time I even worked. I just started eliminating the things that didn't move the needle in the most important buckets of my life to free up time. So like, as you get older, like your life system is probably much different now with teenage kids and a wife than it was when you were single,
1: right?
2: You know, you have more responsibilities. So, so your life system has to change. You probably don't watch as much TV as you did, or maybe you gave up (laughs) other things that you did like going out or whatever. So all I did to put that on my plate was say no to the things that don't move the needle. And what's important to me, you know, my life system changed. So for me, As I get older and as I evolve, I'm constantly looking for efficiencies and and this is real. Like I'm not just saying this because we're on a podcast. Like I have a life optimization coach. Like I'm always looking for efficiencies because I want to do more, man. I don't want to look back on my life and be like, I was the eighty percent version of myself. I wanna milk like I wanna look at my life and be like, I mastered life. I milked it. I had the challenges. I had failures. I'm fine with failures. Nobody on this planet is going to be here in a hundred years from now. No one's going to care that I dropped out of a race or I failed at a business or, you know. So why wouldn't I try?
1: I'm ready to put on my shoes. Let's go. You got me fired true, up.
2: <laughs> no, listen. It's true. Someone asked me recently. Uh, I had a meeting with a financial advisor and they asked me, would you rather leave your kids a boatload of money or a boatload of life experiences? It's an obvious answer. Like I want to live. I want them to look at me when I'm done, Rick and be like, that guy lived life for a a living. His job was he lived life for a living. Now that doesn't mean. and, And by the way, it's easy to say for people to say like, Oh, well you've had success or you have money or you can the the race that I just did in in Illinois, it yeah. costs fifty dollars to register. I climb Mount Washington. It costs eighteen dollars to park in the parking lot. You, you know, it's not like I'm not talking about buying Rembrandt, you know, or or right, right,
1: right. I'm
2: talking about doing things that make you feel alive, and that that's being a champion, and that's designing a life, the kind of life that, at least for me, as I get older, I want to live.
1: So how are you applying this um, kind of all-in mindset, no waste of energy, no waste of time into parenting?
2: Well, first of all, I praise the I praise the effort. Because mm. for me, the races and the businesses that I do, I don't define them by how much they make or how successful they are. I mean, I do, of course I do, that's one of the scorecards, but a lot of it is effort because... If I run a 100-mile race, let's just say, and I know that's extreme, but even if it's a 5K and I didn't finish, there's only two outcomes. Either you finish, right? My friend Chad gave me this whole spiel, but it's true. Either you finish or you go as far as you could go that your body takes you, and and either one of those is acceptable. So when you simplify it to that, it's about effort. So for us, we really praise our kids' efforts, Mm -hmm. not the success it's just about effort. And then the second thing is we try to allow and by the way, this is a work in progress because parenting's so damn hard and <laughs> I'm not by far not an expert parent. I got plenty Jeez, of I'm scars.
1: Afraid. If you want if you want what not to do, call me.
2: Right, exactly. <laughs> but the, the so the but the two things amongst all the mistakes that we make that we that we found to be helpful are praising the effort and allowing our kids to experience disappointment. Because disappointment has been stripped from many kids with participation trophies and everybody makes the teams, but disappointment is a part of life. Right. So allowing your kids to, to, you know, it's easy for us as parents to get in front of disappointment and protect our kids from obvious disappointment. Like I'll do your homework for you or whatever. Um, but, you know, allowing our kids to experience that is, a, is an important valuable lesson. So
1: I think of life not as a a race to be won necessarily, a lot like you, more like a race to be experienced. And this is a little bit of, you know, you're playing a game so you can play another game uh, and and, and so forth. How do you feel about the impact that maybe taking your body uh, to these extremes because your mind can, uh, may have in terms of impact on your health in the long term?
2: I mean, I think the body is just an amazing machine with an amazing ability to heal and grow and recover Mm. if you allow it to. And, you know, I've always, one of my mantras when I run is if I push, my body will respond. So for me, when I look back on my journey, you know, I had this recently with my wife and she's like, what you should be in preservation mode. Do you want to look back when you're 72 or 75 with and have bad knees and bad hips and, and be like, Oh my God, I shouldn't have done the race. And my attitude is the exact opposite. I don't want to look back when I'm 72 or 75 and be like, I didn't run the race that I could have done when I was 30, 40, or 50 because I'm 72 now. Right. So for me, I live in the moment, man. I don't, I'm not guaranteed the next 10 years. So I, I push. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I push. Yeah. Yeah. I build my resume, my life resume. I, I push because I just don't know what the future is. Now, I'm not foolish. I do things to take care of my body. I mean, nothing to me is more important than my health, and and I invest in my health before anything. So I do do prop. I eat organic and healthy and super clean.
1: Let's uh, let's pivot a little bit here and talk about. Um, going from living with a seal to living with a monk. What was the inspiration for that? And were you looking for the contrast? And, you know, tell me, tell us about that journey.
2: Well, I realized that uh, I hadn't, again, I, I learned best through immersion. And I realized, I think part of being an entrepreneur is figuring out how to get from A to B the fastest. And I wanted, I realized that I was neglecting the spiritual side of my life. While I had invested so much in the physical side through races and trainers and basketball camps, I neglected the spiritual side. So figuring out how to get to A to B the fastest and learn about spirituality, everything like pointed to monks. They're the spiritual masters. So I decided to go live on a monastery. So I lived with eight monks that have been on a monastery, the same monastery for 50 years. uh, And I stayed there for 15 days.
1: What was day one, day two like? Was that a massive adjustment?
2: Massive. Lonely. I mean, I was in a room that was probably 10 by 10 with nothing in it but a bed and a light. And um, when I first walked in, one of the the monks was like my main liaison. Brother Christopher came in and said to me, you know, it was 7 o'clock at night. He said, tomorrow we start with prayer, meditation, and reflection at 7 a.m. And I was like, "Well, it's 7 p.m. What do I do between now and 7 a.m.?" Can I go running? And he looked at me. Yeah, he looked at me dead in the eye, and he goes, "You think?" And I was like, "Oh wow!" Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like I, can't, I, I, I don't, I don't think, brother Christopher. Siri thinks for me. Google thinks for me. I don't have to think. <laughs> and then I, I started adding up all the minutes and I'm like, God, I'm in really big trouble. I'm here for you know, 15,000 minutes or whatever it was.
1: Uh, yeah. get, I'm sure you got a good
0: night's sleep. You have nothing to do.
2: I got a, I got a good night's sleep and it was very quiet. But
0: uh... Hey there, you've reached the 20-minute mark of this episode, which is usually where Rick shares his three things. But in the spirit of ultra endurance and in honor of Jesse's 40% rule, we're gonna keep this conversation going. Come on, you can finish this. You can do it.
1: What did you learn about yourself those two those two weeks? That and, and reflection over time.
2: Well, one thing that we touched on prior was we talked about our relationship with time. So my relationship with time really changed. I had a crazy appreciation for time as this developed. Uh, I learned to really be where my feet are, and be super present, like the the monks on this monastery they were big monotaskers and I was living a a life of multitasking trying to like, I thought doing more faster, 9,000 things at once was better because it was just more. And I completely came home and changed that into being where my feet are and being really present. So if I'm at, and again, I don't always get it right, but if I'm at my son's soccer game, I really try to be there and not look at, the stock market or my emails or Instagram or whatever. I try to really be there. And and what I found Rick is if I'm able to take a couple of hours a day for myself. So if I could take two or three hours a day for myself and that's cumulative mm-hmm. and do the things that I love to do. So maybe that's 15 minutes of running in the morning and 20 minutes in the sun in the afternoon, or maybe reading a little or just sitting in my bed and watching the hawk game. If I can do the things that I want to do during the day, then when I'm with my wife or, or I'm if I'm at work, I'm not guilty that I'm not with my wife or I'm not with my kids. Because when I'm with my kids, I'm with them. It's made me way more present. So I, you, you understand what I mean? Like oh, if I can do the things yeah. that I like to do, I'm not rushing. It's like, sweetie, I, I, let's do it later. I want to go for a run. I've already done that. But now when I'm with my wife because I've checked the box in the things that I want to do, putting me first then I could be really present with my wife. And if I do that with my wife, then when I'm at work, I'm not guilty that I'm not with my wife or kids. Right. So yeah. that was a really powerful lesson because I was living a life of multitasking, you know, popping in here for two minutes, running around doing this for five. And it, it it wasn't, fulfill, it wasn't like as fulfilling.
1: Very interesting. Like right
2: now I'm with you on this podcast. There's nothing else on my mind. When you say, Jesse, we're done, we're done.
0: Right.
2: But I'm not, rushing to get off to be with do this because it's been mapped out so for me my day starts the day before you know it starts the night before when i take five minutes and i map out what my next day looks like so like when i wake up i'm not winging it we can't afford to wing it at our age like we can't afford to be like okay what should i do today it's already like okay six to eight of my kids eight to nine thirty is my workout nine thirty is a call then i got this one o'clock is here Oh, four to five or whenever Rick wants to end is the podcast. And then I have my family and it's all mapped out. So yeah. all I'm doing is following the script. Yeah,
1: I like that. And, and Jesse, you, um, I am sure that you have at least a lot of ideas in your head of other experiences you want to have, right? And that becomes almost like a, a journey that, that never ends. What, what else are we going to hearing about you chasing, not just athletically, uh, but maybe in other in other genres?
2: You know, I, I thought to myself recently and Rick, I'm sure you've had similar things because you're so charitable and so unbelievably giving. But I was thinking like, if I took all the energy that I've used over the last 30 years as an entrepreneur and it's exhausting, (laughs) think about what you've built. It gets exhausting. And when I look back to when I started and even now, like the energy level, it's just crazy. But if I converted all that energy into doing something positive, like and of course I'm so, I'm I'm charitable, I, yeah. You know I, yeah. I do all that stuff, but I'm saying if I could do something cause related to really have an impact, that would be an amazing thing for my kids to see, you know. And so one thing I've been working on is in which I'm I'm not going to be too vocal about now because I haven't launched it yet, yeah. But it's something in in water conservation, and I think I've created a way to save billions of gallons of pure, clean drinking water and distribute it to families in need. And that's something I'm really passionate about. So that's something I've been working on for about three or four years, and it's almost about to come to fruition. And um, it's important to me just as how my kids remember me, you know, on top of all the good that it could do for families and just how important water is. Hmm. So that's how I'm looking at it.
1: Pivoting a little bit here, a little bit on your kids, and this is maybe something I think about a bit, but you and Sarah are both remarkably successful. Um, is that a, a gift or a curse for your kids? And how do, how do you view that for them?
2: I look at it as a reality, not a gift or a curse. I think, um, you know, they're on their own journey, and I think that it creates some challenges for them and probably some pressures. But our job as parents is to allow them to have their own journey. And, um, you know, in some, it's certainly a gift in the experiences that they get to have and some of the privileges and, and, and that come along with it. But there's also a tremendous amount of pressure mm-hmm. and, as parents, challenges. Because the one thing you don't want your kids to ever lose is grit. You know, grit's the number one indicator of future success if we all raised grittier kids there's a great chance that they would be more successful and you know so you just that's the challenge
1: and was the I challenge say- is
2: that they may, they maintain that grit and they live up to their potential and they don't fall back on what my mom or dad did
1: And in many ways, Jesse, you're you're displaying that in spades, and so is Sarah in a different way. But you're, you know, all these endurance things. I think at the core of all of that, it's easy to say, "Hey, when you feel like you're done, you're at forty percent." But to break through that forty or eighty or ninety percent, it is all grit. And uh, I, I think they're they're seeing it, not not hearing it from you. So I think you're doing your job in spades.
2: And I just say this, Rick. It's I'll tell you, when I ran my first hundred miler. I was 37, single, hungry, you know, in a different space in my life. You know, I had in the, I had the free time. And I was hungry, man. I was single. I hadn't really had the success and on, on a lot of levels. And to go back at 51 when I'm married with four kids under 10 and comfortable <laughs> and know that I can come back to a house with a swimming pool, you know, it's a lot – it takes a lot more to rally to do a race. And to put yourself through that kind of pain and blisters, and I think there's an important lesson there for my kids, mm-hmm. because I don't—I could easily go to a beach, you right. know—and right. to see that I still want those accomplishments and challenges, things that have a high chance of failure, you know. Um, I think thirty, I think fifty-seven people or something like that, sixty-seven out of two hundred and eighty finished this race in under twenty-four hours. So there's there's a high way more people fail than, than finish. And this, for my kids to see I think that's a really powerful lesson for my kids. Yeah. And I was, you know, sharing that journey with them during my training and the pressure around failure is uh, you know, is all part of the experience and the lessons.
1: Any uh, are you taking some time off now? Are you gonna let your your yes. body rest? Or...
2: My feet are battered, man. I have like I watch four <laughs> toenails, I have blisters that are ridiculous. My ankle so golf is a softball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I uh, my wife won't let me do anything anyway. My my, my workouts now are going to a sauna. <laughs> uh,
1: is there stuff like so when you when you come back and, and you heal up, are there things left physically on your list that you want to try to accomplish? You ever thought of like climbing Mount Everest or some crazy stuff like that?
2: Well, every year I try to do one thing that's big. So I don't I don't have a list of what what I want to do over the next thirty years, but every year I try to do you know at least one thing that defines my year. By the start of twenty twenty, I, I will definitely have two or three things down on my list that I, I want to try to do that year.
1: So you've lived with a seal, you live with a monk. If you could live with anybody else, who would it be?
2: Huh, well, uh, you got a nice bed and a nice house. <laughs> I, I wouldn't well, mind learning from you. Um,
1: <laughs> you can do a lot better, brother. <laughs> I,
2: uh, I think. Um, I would, it would be pretty cool to live with Eminem. I'd love to see what's going through his mind. That will be it would be pretty, wild. Yeah, man. that would be really cool, man, to so, live with Eminem. Oh, my God.
1: I just thought of something.
2: Uh, you started your yeah. whole
1: journey as a rapper. Can you give me something?
2: <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, brother. No, no, no! I don't feel like doing it. All right, I got it in me though. I do have it in me. uh, I'm
1: gonna. You know what? That means we have to do another one of these in a couple years, and I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna play this back you you promised me that. Hey, uh, the Hawks are coming up a couple times this year. I hope you can make it. Uh, My seat is your seat, so um, I would. uh, I hope our paths cross again soon. You're a class act, and I would thank you.
2: I would love that. I just want you to know, Rick. I'm a mega fan, man. You know, we don't speak a lot, but. I just, uh, I'm so proud of what you guys have built. Um, my niece actually worked at the company, and you've taken me on a personal tour. You've, you've had me at your house. You've had me speak at the company. You've invited Sarah into your home multiple times, and every time I see you, man, it's just always good. It's always good energy, and uh, I just, just grateful for everything you've done for me, man, and for our friendship, and uh, for what you, what you do for charity that people don't even know about.
1: You're very kind, and dude, the world is a better place because you're in it, so big hug. See you on the other side.
2: Much love, brother. Take care.
1: Wow, Jesse, I am ready to run through a wall after our conversation. Here are the three things I took away. First is that we're wired for comfort. The tap on the shoulder means that we still have half a tank left. Our true potential comes not just from pushing ourselves to being uncomfortable, but to learning how to enjoy being there. Number two, I just love how Jesse has been able to train his brain to overcome self-doubt. He calls it counterpunching. What a beautiful metaphor. We all can replace I can't with I can and I will, and we should do that starting today. And number three, and my favorite, is his saying of live life for a living. Just a great way to remind us that in a world where time is our only currency, relationships, and the memories we create along the way is the best way to ensure that
0: we die with no regrets. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Tweet at Rick Elias to let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, things.redventures.com. Thanks for listening.